This is the podcast for the journal Genetics and Medicine, published by Springer Nature. It's the official journal of the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics. I'm Cynthia Graber. Some of the most common indicators that lead to genetic testing in children are developmental delays, intellectual disability, and congenital anomalies. These comprise a spectrum often observed in rare genetic disorders that can affect a child's behavior, learning, and physical ability. But genetic testing isn't always the first tool clinicians turn to. And so a team of experts was brought together by the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics to assess the evidence and to create an evidence-based clinical practice guideline for the use of exome and genome sequencing for pediatric patients with congenital anomalies or intellectual disabilities. The guideline was recently published in the journal Genetics and Medicine. The clinical guideline is based on standards published by the National Academy of Medicine, formerly known as the Institute of Medicine. These standards utilize the best available scientific evidence to inform practice. Fuki M. Hisama is a professor of medical genetics at the University of Washington School of Medicine and is a co-chair of the committee. In 2011, the Institute of Medicine actually recommended moving toward this type of a guideline-based medicine in order to improve patient care and to make guidelines that were trustworthy. So this is in contrast to basically hundreds of years of just expert opinion where the most senior people in the room said, you know, this is what I see and this has been my experience. And so along with things like placebo-controlled, randomized controlled trials, for example, to prove that a new medication or increasingly surgery actually is more beneficial than current standard of treatment or no care, evidence-based guidelines are informed by doing a systematic review of the available evidence that is published And importantly, evidence-based guidelines also include a clear statement of recommendations for clinical care and try to optimize uh, outcomes for patients. The assembled committee included a panel of relevant experts, clinical geneticists, adult and pediatric neurologists, laboratory geneticists, genetic counselors, methodologists, and also a patient advocate. They then examined a systemic evidence review on the topic recently published by the journal Genetics and Medicine and conducted their own literature review as well. In total, the researchers looked at evidence from thousands of published papers and included more than 100 directly relevant papers in the final evidence review. Then we basically weighed the evidence and reviewed it in a systematic way, considered the quality of the evidence, and also tried to balance the benefits and evaluate any harms and incorporate patient values and preferences into the guideline. So then finally, we made a recommendation for clinical care based on the evidence. And the statement was that uh, exome or genome sequencing should now be considered as a first line or second line test for the evaluation of patients with congenital anomalies, developmental delays, or intellectual disability. Marugu Manicum is Associate Professor of Nationwide Children's Hospital and the Ohio State University College of Medicine and is co-chair of the committee. He said the recommendation was based on the clear evidence of benefit of early exome and genome sequencing leading to earlier diagnosis. So what we found was that there is significant evidence that getting a diagnosis does change management. In some cases, it's active management. So it's the idea that you should be on this medication or you should be enrolled in this trial that potentially could be looking at a medication. 
But I think it also was really important for some families that it told them what the long-term prognosis was going to be like. And so it informs the families, okay, this is a realistic expectation of what the long-term is going to look like for you. They also incorporated a cost-benefit analysis. So the cost issue is one that's harder to get to because this is looking over such a long period of time for these studies. The studies that were included were almost over a 15-year period. And you have such a variation in what the cost was initially to what the cost is 15 years down the road. So it's a little bit hard to make an apples to apples comparison. We were very fortunate that the Ontario um, Health Technology Assessment was done in the interim between the previous paper and this one being done, where they very specifically looked at the cost benefit analysis. And they saw there that there was a cost benefit to doing exome sequencing early. One weakness in the assessment is that it was difficult to quantify any potential harms, such as the impact to families from uncovering information about unrelated genetic variants that could affect other members of the family, or whether the information returned could affect reproductive decisions in the future. For a lot of studies, they really wanted to report this gene is associated with this outcome or with this disorder. And so they weren't really looking at that family-focused portion of it. It was really important for us that we had a patient advocate on the group. He's got two children with a rare disorder. And so he came from it from the perspective of a parent that the parent's view is really important because they're the end user here. Questions about the impact on families do remain, as well as questions about whether a genome or an exome test should be used as a first-line diagnostic. Dr. Manicum sees this study as a model for research in the future that will indeed take all these considerations into account. We want people to report things in this manner, that they include short-term outcomes, long-term management, reproductive outcomes and family focus. Because I think by having more papers that do it in that manner, we can start to include them in future studies. In a way, this model of an evidence-based guideline is creating the standard and a template for future studies, as the double-blind placebo model did in the past. Dr. Osama says that codifying the conclusions of the panel in a clinical practice guide can have important ramifications. So first of all, I think it helps to have a clear statement like this or guideline from an organization that is as uh, well-recognized as the American College of Medical Genetics on what is the place currently of exome or genome sequencing in the evaluation of children with intellectual disability or congenital anomalies. Because the way that a lot of medical centers have approached exome sequencing for the past five or 10 years is to think of it as a test of last resort. Also, we hope that an evidence-based guideline will be considered seriously by insurers and payers in terms of insurance coverage for clinical testing, which has also been a very significant challenge for those of us who see patients every day in the clinic. And so we have not ordered exome sequencing, perhaps, for patients where we thought it was indicated or we have tried to order it and it's been denied or not covered by insurance. Dr. Manicum says that a new report currently in press at Genetics and Medicine actually asked insurers this very question about what they need to cover such early testing. There was a really interesting survey done with insurance companies about what they want to see in order to cover exomes and genomes more specifically. And this was one of the things they specifically cited. They wanted an evidence-based review that was independently done to show that there was value to it. Dr. Hasama has seen such results from insurance companies herself. So basically the day that the guideline came out, I was seeing a patient who has 
intellectual disability. And then she started to have some new problems of more difficulty walking. And she also has iron deposition in her brain. So she saw a local neurologist who sent her to our clinic because she recognized that this is something probably very rare and likely to be genetic. So I did evaluate her and considered the family history. So no one else in her family has the same problem, indicating this is likely recessive or de novo in her. And considering all the available testing, I thought that exome sequencing would be the single most helpful diagnostic test for her. So I wrote my note. We did the pre-authorization with her insurance. They actually agreed to cover it. I cited this guideline um, and it was diagnostic. This is obviously just one person's experience, but the authors hope it will be representative of other clinicians' experience moving forward. And they say that the guideline will be updated as new data are available. One of the tenets of the recommendations of the Institute of Medicine for Evidence-Based Guidelines is that they be updated regularly. So this is not a static sort of a thing. Uh, We did incorporate that into the recommendations that this be updated. We haven't quite determined how often it needs to be updated, actually, whether every couple of years would do. Certainly, we don't want to wait. 10 years before this is updated uh, because of how fast things change in our field. Um, I'll also tell you, Cynthia, that I received an email recently from the ACMG, and they told me that in the first month after this was published, it's already been downloaded 10,000 times. So I feel like we're a rock band with a number one hit. Rock on, Dr. Osama. Genetics and Medicine is the official journal of the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics and is published by Springer Nature. I'm Cynthia Graber.